Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Fixed Income Conversation Corner Podcast on the UBS Market Moves Podcast Channel. On this program, we do like to touch on timely developments within the asset class, the recent performance drivers, provide an outlook, and discuss where opportunities exist for your portfolios. So joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Leslie Falconio, as well as Ken. Camp Goodman, Senior Managing Director and Partner at Wellington Management. Leslie Camp, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners and their clients and looking forward to the conversation. Leslie, I know you'll be leading today's conversation, so let me pass it over to you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Camp. I appreciate it. Obviously, the topic du jour this entire year and causing a lot of angst, um, you know, among strategists and investors and, and PMs is that inflation. And when you th- when you see the fund flow, you know, where do you think investors are sort of gravitating towards? I mean, do they is it still the tips, even though real yields are so incredibly negative, or are they finding alternatives to that, you know, potential inflation lasting a little bit longer? Um, just where do you see investors sort of allocating the funds now, given the fact that, you know, the opportunity set within fixed income when it comes to relative value is not actually vast? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think that they must be going into tips, and I think that has been what's driving down real yields in part. So I, I do think the flows are going in that direction. But I, I think really what you're driving at with that question is exactly right, that it's not a very – it's hard for me to argue that it's a very attractive place for investors actually to put their money. I mean, when you when you think about inflation, you think, okay, I want inflation protection, and how am I going to get that? Well, I should get it through inflation protected treasuries. But I, I it's not, um, you know, you, you're certainly locking in a pretty negative real return. So I think some investors are looking in other places, and and. Um, I think the higher yielding credit markets are, are an attractive place uh, to look. I, I'm certainly a little bit, um, you know, talking what I, I believe in investing in long term here, in, in that uh, I think that a lot of those higher yielding markets are, are attractive uh, places uh, structurally to invest. I think they give you uh, better real returns. They, they give you the inflation protection as well, um, because what tends to happen is that uh, in a, a moderate in an environment where inflation is moderately higher, um, default rates are likely to be relatively low. And, and so uh, you'll get a lot of the, the return of those higher yielding securities um, by, by owning those. So that's another place. I mean, certainly the high yield market is someplace I think investors have been putting money. We've seen uh, cash going in there. Um, and high yield spreads have gotten relatively tight, I guess. And you said, where do I think they are going? But I might also add, um, you know, where do I think that they uh, maybe should be going more in the future? Uh, and that would be, uh, you know, the, the cousin of the high-yield market, which is the, the bank loan market or the floating rate loan market, um, where I don't think that that's overvalued here. I think investors can still uh, get some protection from higher rates because those floating rate loans will, will obviously go uh, up in yield if uh, if or when rates rise, um, and I think the the spread that they offer um, is is pretty attractive. So that's where I'm tilting towards right now. It's one of the big areas where I think you can get uh, decent income by by investing in fixed income. So when we think about so when we think about some of those, and and we agree completely by the way in terms of that the. Uh, 
the loan market and it's yeah. one of our <clears throat> preferred weightings this year as well. And, you know, obviously, you know, when we think about this whole recovery, reflation pro-cyclical kind of environment that we've been in, I mean, you know, as we talked about, and as you and I both know, even in the loan market, you know, look, we've had a great recovery and you pointed out, you know, very, very truly, and I mean, the fundamentals in both high yield and senior loans are fantastic in terms of, you know, the, the recoveries and the low defaults. But when we think about sort of, you know, these opportunities in this recovery environment, given the fact that we are, you know, if you could pinpoint it, you know, well into mid-cycle, um, what are your thoughts on that overall? I'm just curious. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I guess I'd say one way that I, I like to um, look at the, the credit markets um, it is to look at something that we call the, the break-even default rate. Um, and this is the idea, that this is essentially what default rate would you need to have uh, in the asset class before you before you lose money, essentially before you wish you'd invested in just risk-free assets instead of investing in, in a, a risky asset class. And um, typically, you know, these asset classes are going to give you some premium over that so that you're, you're um, essentially you're going to, uh, you know, your, your break-even default rate is always going, is almost always going to be higher than the actual realized default rate. So you're, so you're never over time really sorry that you've invested in these asset classes. In fact, you know, they do better than, than risk-free assets. But uh, right now, uh, the, the break-even default rate for high yield is below is below the actual long-term average default rate for the asset class. And what that means is, another way to turn that around is, I would say high yield is pricing in, is already pricing in a better than, than average uh, default experience over the next five years. Now, we may, we may get that. So, in other words, I, I think it's very possible that defaults actually will be below average over the next five years. And so you'll still be glad that you owned high-yield bonds. But... Um, if you look at the bank loan market, uh, bank loans are still priced for a higher than average default rate over the next five years. And I think that, that bank loans are quite similar to high yield and, and they are also going to have a below average default rate. And so that means that the opportunity is just, is just better in that asset class. They are, they're priced for a worse economic outcome and yet the economic outcome is likely to, to be the same. So, that's that's the way I would look at it, and I would say that that's a that's an attractive. Now, um, we can also talk about uh, emerging markets. I think there are some interesting opportunities as, as well. But maybe I'll I'll pause there and see where you want to go. No, I know. Please continue on with the end. We'd be I'd be curious to hear. Please continue. Okay. Yeah. Emerging markets you know, have, have not had a great year. Unlike some of these other asset classes, um, they've. They've languished a little bit, um, and I'm speaking broadly when I say that. It's true of, of sovereign, EM sovereigns, uh, emerging market corporates, and, and that's whether it's hard currency or local. Um, a lot of them have, have struggled. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's instructive to ask, what, why have they not done as well as, as developed market credit? Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it's really two reasons. The first is is the COVID experience. Um a lot of uh, emerging market countries have struggled more. Uh, you know, the, their vaccination rates are, are uh, lower. They, they haven't been able to 
and they don't have access to uh, as many vaccines yet. Um, and so uh, their economies are, are struggling to, to reopen and to, to, um, and to take off the way a lot of the, the major developed market economies are. Uh, and so I think that's been a little disappointing to the markets, first of all, is just the, you know, how low their, their growth is. Uh, the second issue, though, is this inflation issue. Uh, you know, this is, the perennial issue in emerging markets is, well, one of them anyway, is uh, that you know, during times when growth is low and inflation is uh, picking up, um, developed markets tend to, to keep their rates low because they, they, you know, that's what we're seeing right now with the Fed, right? Like inflation's picking up, but growth is still not where they want it to quite to be. And so uh, they're taking their time about hiking. But a number of emerging markets have, have already, um, have already hiked rates, you know, uh, and, and so, um, you know, if you think about, um, Mexico in, in particular, uh, is, is a good example where, um, you know, they've, they've hiked rates to try to um, to contain inflation here. Um, and it's slowed their economy pretty meaningfully, and they, they probably have more to do. So uh, that's the bad news. But as I look forward from here, you know, we always want to be thinking, well, what's, what's priced in and what's going to change from here? Uh, I think a fair bit of the bad news may be behind us in emerging markets. And so uh, I am... I mean, I, I'm inclined to uh, keep or, or increase my, my EM positions. Um, and, uh, you know, I can talk more about sort of where in particular, but uh, I, I think that a number of countries now are, uh, their economies are likely to grow better in 2022 than they did in 2021. Um, I don't know if they're quite at the end of their hiking cycles. It depends on the country. Uh, but a number of them should have better growth in, in 2022. Um, some of the uh, Latin American countries where, again, I, I believe you're actually recently positive, and I would agree with you, uh, you know, I think uh, Mexico could do better. I think Brazil could do better. Um, you know, I think these countries have, have uh, you know, some of these issues that, that have been drawn out over the last year or so should be getting better. Um, China is another big one that, that you know, we are watching uh, I would say we have some investments in China, but we're not uh, aggressively positioned in China. Um, and that is really because um, they, um, China's another place that has been uh, very restrictive in terms of um, its economy and, and keeping people, uh, um, you know, and, and sort of keeping things closed up due to COVID. And um, it's also, uh, they've been tightening policy to try to slow down their property markets, and, and that's um, had a lot of issues. So I think those things are likely to inflect in the coming year, but uh, I, I don't know that we're – it's very hard to say whether we're at the bottom of those things now. But that, I think you know, China is certainly a place that uh, is, is starting to look quite scary, and that means that, that you know we may start to get opportunities ahead there. I mean, I, I think when things start to look – challenge like that you know, in the present time, and that's, that's often a good time to be looking ahead and seeing how they're going to change. I think, and I think you put on some, and this leads really well into, you know, what everyone sort of looks at right now, particularly, I mean, obviously in the equity market, but also within the fixed income market is our, you know, risk, what are, what, what are the potential risks and what factors of risk that you would have going forward? And I think to your point, you know, inflation is not the same across the world, and it's very different across 
you know, different regions of, of central banks. And obviously, you know, the tolerance of the EM is much different than it is in the tolerance in the U.S. But as we look at sort of these risk factors, whether it is even in the U.S. dollars are nominated for something like loans, which we know have done very well this year. They're almost, you know, they, they don't they don't go really tremendous. They don't go above par, and this is really now a carry trade versus a we think there's a huge amount of spread compression going forward. But sort of what risk factors do you see going forward? That most importantly, as well, um, you know, do you would you view like potential spread widening in the first quarter of 22 should be more opportunistic or should it be feared? Yeah. I, um so to that last question, I'd say I think it's more opportunistic. I, I, I'm, I would say I think that spreads are on the tight side. There is a lot of good news priced in. Um, but unless we get some um, significant, you know, some significant surprise, like in 2020 when we got a pandemic that you know, nobody was expecting, certainly at the end of 2019, uh, you know, unless there's something completely out of the blue, I, I do think there's a chance we get some spread widening as the as the Fed starts to taper here and as their their rhetoric gets more hawkish, um, as inflation remains high. I think those, those are certainly risks that could lead spreads to widen. But um, if I think about like at what level am I likely to want to then um, add to my positions, it's going to be. Um, I'm not going to wait until spreads get out to distress levels because I don't I don't think they're likely to. Um, you know I think the the economy is likely to stay on track here um, and continue to recover. There, there's still a lot of you know there's a lot of room for things to continue to improve in the U.S. economy, and so I, I'd say I'm more I'm I'm relatively optimistic about the fundamentals. I just think the valuation here is you know there's a lot of good news priced in, and at some point. Um, that will probably take a breather. Um, but when I try to separate fundamentals from valuation, I think the fundamentals are likely to stay um, quite good. So, yeah, what are the risks to that? Um, you know, I think the inflation risk is, is you know, everybody's talking about that, and so that one's pretty well known. I do want to I do want to talk about this just because it's been such, you know, it's been a little bit easier on the equity side, but now the fixed income side is finally getting a little bit of um, scalability selectively, but just just in terms of sustainability and ESG, particularly in you know the fixed income side. I'm curious, Ezra, to your thoughts on that. Um, what type of assets are you looking at? What type of you know tracking needs to be defined to be the most valuable? Where well, I'm really just interested in your thoughts. Yeah. So. Um, I do think that this is coming more uh, into the fixed income side and, and the way that um, we are looking at it really is um, through a couple of things. We are looking primarily for um, companies that we view to be either uh, leaders within their industry or those that are um, significant improvers. Essentially, they're, they're, um, the way that they're doing business is getting much better. Um, we're looking for companies that either through the way that they're doing business or through their core goods and services are helping to uh, address one of the major world problems that we have, whether it's uh, clean energy or uh, efficiency or, or recycling or um, affordable housing. Um, you know, I think we, we think that there are a number of areas out there and, and companies that are 
uh, positioned to help in these areas are going to be favored. They're going to be favored by um, policy, by regulators. They're going to be favored by the market. They're going to have uh, superior access to capital. Um, so I, I think that actually there are still a lot of opportunities in this space. I, I you know, it's, it's so fascinating to me to see um, how many really the, the people who are, um, I, I talked to some people in this space who are still, you know, big skeptics and, and think that, um, you know, that, that uh, oh gosh, this must all be priced in. I, I don't think so. I think there are a lot of opportunities to find um, great investments in this area. Um, you know, the, some of the things that are getting a lot of attention right now are uh, green bonds uh, and things like um, sustainability linked bonds, which are bonds where uh, the company sets a certain uh, sustainability goal, and and then their um, the, the uh, interest rate that they pay eventually um, depends a little bit on on whether they meet that goal or not. Um, so I think some of those structures have some merit, and and it's really just important to be in the space and and look at them and understand. Um, you know, is this a solid green bond framework? Uh, some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, you know, just to give you an example, you can look at different banks and. Um, some of them uh, have a, a, a look-back period. So some of them will only allow projects that were initiated, say, in the last two years. That's called having a two-year look-back period. Some of them will allow, uh, you can, they can fund projects that were funded at any point in the past. And, and then you have no idea, you know, whether you're really funding anything that's, that's new or whether you're just funding old stuff. You have to look very carefully through those. And, and the same with, like, these sustainability-linked bonds. Some of them, there's certain companies that are setting really challenging targets and, and showing their commitment to sustainability. Um, there are other companies that, uh, you know, I think are, are not setting such challenging targets and, and um, you know, are, are, just, are, are just doing this more for show. So um, I, it's great to see a lot happening in this space. And I think, uh, you know, it's just important to try to, try to pick through it and find find some great opportunities. Well, Kim, listen, this has been a really a great conversation, and, and I thank you for taking the time. And uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Dan Cassidy now. Thank you, Camp. I appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, Leslie Falconio, Camp Goodman, thank you very much for spending time with our listeners and very much appreciate the insights you shared with us. Again, today we've been joined by Camp Goodman, Senior Managing Director and Partner at Wellington Management, as well as Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. The Fixed Income Conversation Corner podcast is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.